Good morning, Valley Free Church. It is uh, great to be with you again and be in your living room. And, and I, I have to confess these days that uh, I am really missing being together with all of you. And I look forward to June 28th when we can all be together and uh, we'll, we'll worship outside on the, the lawn here at Valley Free Church on that day. And uh, I, I can't wait. Can't wait to see you all. I can't wait to worship together. I can't wait to, uh, to study God's word together. And uh, I'm, just, I'm just missing everybody. And uh, so, welcome. And uh, let's dive into God's word this morning. Thank you, Megan and Mary Lou, for the worship. And uh, I look forward to getting into God's word for part two of our focus on the day of Pentecost, the feast of Pentecost, the gift of the Holy Spirit and the birthday of the church. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting into God's word this morning, um, especially in the context of what our, our culture is going through in the last week or two. So let's, let's get into that. I, I have to confess that this teaching on Pentecost and the giving of the Holy Spirit has taken me by surprise. The importance of this gift of the Holy Spirit and, and the event of Pentecost is, to say the least, significant in God's, on God's timeline of both history and salvation. I've always known that. But in light of current events, this teaching has, frankly, has taken on a whole new meaning for me. In the midst of our current state of affairs, this truth, this this gift of the Holy Spirit has offered a new sense of stability, a sense of assurance, a sense of hope for me. And I hope that what we're going to talk about today offers that to you as well. So we've all been witness to the, to the violent scenes on the streets, all this stuff that's being played out right in front of our eyes on, on the news media, on social media, on the streets across not only our city, but across the nation and indeed across the globe. And if you're like me, it's a struggle to see the, to, to see past the violence and, and to see into the real issues of the day. It's a struggle to see past the layers of agendas and different things that are happening and see the real truths that are, that are, that are lurking at, in the midst of all this and to understand with accuracy what is all happening. And amidst the cries for unity, there's a, there's a disunity like most of us have not witnessed in our lifetimes. Our sense of stability has been replaced by a sense of fear and insecurity. We were all part of that here, right in our own little community of Chaska last week when, when the threat of demonstrations came to our, to our own little town. And out of a precaution, businesses boarded up their windows. And we all breathed a sigh of relief when there indeed was a gathering, but it turned out to be a peaceful gathering and indeed a, a time for food donations to those who had been suffering from the demonstrations in Minneapolis. But even the threat, the threat itself caused us to retreat into fear. This week we saw, as I record this, it was just yesterday, we saw the, the first of several memorial services for for George Floyd, the, the victim of police brutality that has served as such a catalyst for the upheaval in our culture. And once again, the world teetered between mourning and anger, peace and unrest. And we held our breath, hoping that the violence wouldn't return on that day. Praise the Lord that it didn't seem to erupt again. I have to tell you that at the same time, even the same hours 
as the memorial service was happening, I had the privilege to serve as a chaplain to police officers and troops, frontline officers and troops who were staged and waiting to respond to any disorder. Law enforcement officers from across the state of Minnesota were gathered and they were simply waiting. So as I, as I listened to their stories, I realized once again that, that these law enforcement officers are my neighbors, they're friends, they're family, they're people just like you and I. And they told horrific stories of being spat upon. They told stories of being cursed at right in their faces, of having bricks and bottles thrown at them. Cars would ram into their vehicles out of the blue. And they told of multiple instances of being shot at in, in the cover of night. One officer told of being followed home by three cars with no license plates on them. And the cars sat in front of his house for hours. The officer didn't know what was going to happen. One officer told, told me how whenever he left his house, his young kids would, would hold him and, and, just, and just cry because daddy was leaving home. So I have to tell you, after that experience and after watching the news and the events of the last week and a half, two weeks, my heart is broken and confused. My pastor's heart wants to listen. My pastor's heart wants to help. My pastor's heart wants to preach the gospel and to see Jesus heal our land, to heal our communities, to heal our people. And I think we're all trying to make sense of this, to see truth, to heal wounds. So enter the events of Pentecost, the day the Holy Spirit was given and the day the church was born. And as we'll see today, the Holy Spirit always, always, always points to Jesus. The backdrop, the context of Pentecost, that Feast of Pentecost 2,000 some years ago, the backdrop is always the, the, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, the payment of sin, payment for sin on our behalf, and the resurrection of Jesus for new life. That is always the backdrop for the day of Pentecost and the giving of the Holy Spirit. So you see, our focus always has to be on the work of Christ on the cross, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the life of Jesus Christ. The focus, the Holy Spirit will always help us to focus on Jesus Christ. And, and frankly, sometimes in the midst of this confusion and the, and the complexity of the issues that confront our culture today, the message seems sometimes too simple but in fact, the message of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ is, is the one thing alone that can bring order, that can bring unity, that can bring the love that the, the world is longing for, protesting for. The, the, this is the only thing that can bring peace that the world longs for, the good news of Jesus Christ. It is the only solution, though at times it seems simple. But if the gospel message were were left there at the cross, even at the resurrection, we, we'd be left on our own to work it out. It's, as we are seeing today, left to our own wisdom, left to our own devices, we're lost. We're even condemned to lawlessness, 
condemned to hate and condemned to violence. We're seeing that played out in vivid color on our television screens, our computer screens in these last weeks. What happens when we're left to our own devices? But Pentecost tells us that we're not alone. Pentecost tells us that God has promised in advance that he would give us the Holy Spirit to live inside of us, to lead us, to unite us, and to bring us the real peace that Jesus Christ offers, the real peace that Jesus Christ alone can give to us. So if you're longing to bring some sense to the confusion of the day, if you're longing for some sense of hope where, the, where hope seems to be lost, if, if you're longing for some, for some assurance when the earth beneath us, beneath us seems to be shifting, then you need to understand what God has not only done for us, but what he has promised for us. In this passage of Acts chapter 2 that we'll study today, the second half of Acts chapter 2, is full of truths that we need to talk about. I encourage you to review this passage of Acts chapter 2, specifically beginning in verse 22. Uh, um, yes, verse 22. Study it, beginning in verse 22 to the end of chapter 20, chapter 2. Study it and, and pick out truths. Make a, make, get out a notebook and make a list of the truths that you'll see in this passage. We cannot begin to cover all of them today, but it's full of truths that have every application to our context today. Go through it verse by verse. You'll see God's truth. You'll see God's plan. You'll see his promises begin to come to the surface. And I, and I promise you, I guarantee you, that as you study and contemplate the truths found in Acts chapter 2, you will find that same sense of assurance for today. So for the time that we have today, I'm going to use the words of Jesus concerning the Holy Spirit as found in John chapter 16. We'll read that in a moment. In a moment. I'm going to use it as a template to look at at Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. And I believe that this framework, this template, will help us to see the work of the Holy Spirit and the importance of him as a gift to us today. So let me read from John chapter 16. If you turn your Bibles with me, we'll read together. John chapter 16. It's a familiar passage, a foundational passage for the work of the Holy Spirit. Let me read this. These are the words of Jesus, starting in verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, listen to this, listen to this. He will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, in verse 9, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of the world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears. He will speak. We'll stop there. If you flip over to Acts chapter 2, let me read from some of our text today. I won't read the whole passage, but starting in verse 22, listen to what Peter preaches to the people on that day of Pentecost, the first day of the church. Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, 
a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then go down with me to verse, verse 32. This Jesus God raised up, and, and of that we, were all, we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not, descend in, did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Verse 36, Peter goes on. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. This is the word of God. So I've broken this down into three ideas. I've kind of tried to summarize the work of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. The first thing that we see is that the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus. The Holy Spirit reveals Jesus. We saw last week in part one of this message that Peter begins his message by explaining that Jesus fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament. And he used the words of the prophet Joel earlier in chapter 2 as he begins his sermon. He starts with the prophet Joel. And Peter explained that everything that they had been seeing on the day of Pentecost, that day, those events, that was actually what God was doing. The tongues of fire, the sound of the wind, and the testimonies of the disciples, the preaching of the word of God, the fullness of that moment, the excitement of that moment, that all meant that God was on the move. Peter reminds them God had promised this in advance. God told them in the Old Testament this was going to happen. And Acts 2.4 says that the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. So while we say that this sermon is the sermon that pre Peter preached on that day, I'm going to say that it was actually the Holy Spirit leading Peter to proclaim Jesus to the crowds. And the Holy Spirit is the one who reveals Jesus. Listen to this. We'll just, we'll just simply go through the passage and see how the, how the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Peter, revealed Jesus. Listen to this in verse 22. He was attested to you by God through mighty works, through wonders, through signs. God the Father, let them know, let the world know that this Jesus is my son. This Jesus is the one who contains the, the power of God. This Jesus is God attested to you by God. God himself testified that Jesus is God. The second thing we see in verse 23 is that, is that God delivered up Jesus according to the plan of God. You see, the, the world thought that scheming men driven by their own agendas, uh, that their own rebellion against God, that their own wisdom was leading them to crucify Jesus. We, we think that the there was the desires of theirs to sow discord, to sow disunity, and to, to bring about their own distorted plans 
They thought they could thwart the plans of God. They thought they had finally done away with this Jesus. Even Satan in the spiritual realm thought that he had done away with Jesus. Finally, we did away with this message, with Jesus, with his power, with his, as, as Satan would say, his deception of the people. And when they nailed Jesus to the cross, they thought it was over. But Peter wants to remind the people that the, of the audience of that day, he wants to remind them that this is God's plan. It was his foreknowledge, it was his plan, it was his salvation, his redemption through his son, Jesus Christ, that God delivered him up for crucifixion to pay the penalty for the price of sin. And if you go down to verse 31, <clears throat> Peter is explaining the, uh, about the life of King David and what, what King David saw and how that foretold of Jesus Christ. He says in verse 31, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. You see, we, we need to understand that Jesus was not overcome by death. He was not, he, he didn't experience decay as a, as a decaying body in death. He didn't, he didn't experience hell as, as, as those who are lost would. Jesus was not overcome by death. Jesus did not experience the results of, of death. And then we go on to see in verse 24 that Jesus was resurrected by God. God raised him from the dead. And we go on to see later in verse 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Spirit. You see, Jesus was resurrected and he was exalted and he, sat at the, he sits at the right hand of God the Father. It's not just a symbolic position that he sits in. It's a position of authority. He rules over all of creation, over all the universe. Jesus Christ, this Jesus is exalted by the Father. And he goes on to tell us again in verse 33 of chapter 2 that Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit. Then we read in John 16 that Jesus actually promised, if it's better that I go away so that the Spirit can come to you. I will give you the Spirit and he will lead you to me. Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit, and Peter reminds us of that in his sermon here. And then look at verse 36. This is instrumental to the passage. Verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know, therefore, knowing that Jesus has been exalted, knowing that this is plan, the plan of God, Jesus is exalted, know this, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you have sacrificed, you have crucified. Catch this, Jesus made him Lord, God made him Lord and Christ. We'll come back to that in a moment. You see, Jesus is the focal point of all of history. Jesus is the focal point of every event. Jesus is, most importantly, the focal point of every heart. God sent him. God knew all along that he was going to, what he was going to do through Jesus. God testified to Jesus as God, as Savior, as Christ. Satan and sin and wicked men tried to do all they could to assert their own plans. They tried to replace God. They tried to reject Jesus. But God's plan still stood. God's plan still stands now. Look again at verse 24. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. And I, this, this just caught my attention as I studied this passage. It was not possible for him to be held by it. God's plan still stands. It is not possible to thwart the plans of God. Whatever was thrown at, at Jesus to derail God's plan, nothing stands. 
God and his purposes still stand, will stand through all things, even death. You see, today everyone has a plan. Everyone has a plan. Everyone has a call to unity. Everyone has a strategy or a method to solve a problem, to meet a need, to, to end racism, to find fulfillment in our lives, to stop hatred, to bring order or, or to shape our, our, our culture according to their image. Everybody has a plan. Everyone has an idea of how your life should conform to their image, to their plan, to their thoughts. Everyone has a desired outcome for what life should look like. But brothers and sisters, Peter is telling us in Acts chapter 2 that if, that if a plan doesn't include Jesus, if it doesn't start, if it's not on his truth, if it's not founded on his grace, if it's not according to his righteousness, if it's not pointed to Jesus, it is built on shifting sand. And today, political figures have all the answers. Bloggers tell us what we should think. The news tells us what they think the news should look like. Demonstrators tell us what justice should look like. Even pastors are busy telling people what their idea of the truth is. But, the, but if the idea, listen to me, if the idea, if the plan or the conventional wisdom doesn't begin with Jesus, or if the plan doesn't point to Jesus, then it is for naught. Point number one, the Holy Spirit always reveals Jesus. Let's go on to point number two. The Holy Spirit reveals sin. We love Peter because he always speaks truth. You, you never have to second guess where Peter stands in, all of, in, in, in what he's thinking. We always know where he stands. He tells it like it is. We love him for it. We laugh at him for it. But interspersed in his message that day on Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, is the revelation of Listen to this, that they killed Jesus. Look at this, verse 23. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And then look at verse 36, I'll read it again. Let all the house of Israel know therefore, for, therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So don't miss this. God sent Jesus, his son. God predicted Jesus and the plan of salvation through the prophets of the Old Testament. God testified to his identity as God and Savior. God brought salvation through him. And for the Jew, Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. Jesus was the Savior of Israel and the world. They missed it. And not only that, they killed him. Many like to argue that the Jews killed Jesus. Many like to argue that the Romans killed Jesus. But they all did it. That's what Peter's trying to communicate. You did it through the hands of lawless men. It was Jews. It was Romans. Peter lays out the charge clearly and plainly. You crucified him. You crucified the one, capital O, that God sent. The one that God sent. Now, in our Minnesota nice terms, we probably would have said, well, well that wasn't very helpful. 
That's as clear as we come to saying, man, you've messed this up. Peter would say, you crucified him. Jesus said in John 16 that we read earlier, he said that the Holy Spirit would reveal sin because, listen to this, because they do not believe in me. You see, when we, re when we refuse to recognize our sin, when we refuse to recognize Jesus. When we minimize our sin, we minimize the sacrifice that Jesus gave and paid for our sin. When we choose to remain in our sin, we crucify Jesus all over again. And when we refuse to confess our sin, we refuse the clear leading of the Holy Spirit to come to Christ. So today, there's, there's plenty of sin to go around. When police brutality leads to the loss of life, the, the Spirit's not there. When racism stands in the way of God's provision, the Spirit's not in it. When violence marks our streets, When one people group is pitted against another, spirit's not in that either. The prophet Isaiah wrote, he wrote of sin. He, he writes of what happens when, when sin is not recognized, when the Holy Spirit's leading doesn't lead us back to Jesus. I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 59. Please turn with me there. It's it's a little bit lengthy, but I, I feel it's important to read it. This is what happens when sin comes to town. Isaiah 59, verse 9. The whole passage is, is very convicting. Let me start at verse 9. Therefore justice is far from us. Righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold darkness and for brightness but we walk in gloom we grope for the wall like the blind we grope like those who have no eyes we stumble at noon as in the twilight among those in full vigor we are like dead men we all growl like bears we moan and moan like doves we hope for justice but there is none for salvation, but it's far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you and our sins testify against us. And we know our iniquities, transgressing and denying the Lord and turning back from following our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. Justice is turned back, and righteousness stands far away, for truth has stumbled in the public square, and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. You see, the Holy Spirit always reveals sin. Until we yield our lives to the leading of the Holy Spirit, 
until we allow him to lead us to Jesus, we're left in our sin. Our lives and our culture will continue to spiral spiral downward. Point number two, the Holy Spirit reveals sin. Let's move on to point number three, because Peter isn't finished. It actually gets worse. What I'd like to say right now, and what I usually say at this point in a message is that now we confront a choice. But I want you to notice verse 36. This is the ending of his sermon. Verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Did you get that? He, he stopped right there. He stopped there. He didn't give a closing illustration. He didn't give a second chance at grace. He didn't give an altar call right there. He didn't say a, a quick prayer and say, on your way rejoicing or say amen. He didn't say, he didn't say amen and then let's get out of here. He didn't, he didn't do any of that. I want you to see how he ends his message. God made him Lord and Christ and you killed him. And he didn't actually say amen. I'll add amen just because I, I just feel like I have to. He made him Lord and Christ, and you killed him. I'm, I'm trying to imagine the silence that came over that crowd, that multitude that was gathered that day. I'm trying to imagine the silence. I'm imagining that not a word was spoken in that moment. The Holy Spirit had filled and led Peter to speak and to point to Jesus, and he did a great job of laying it all out. And now the message was at work in every heart, in every heart. God's word was sinking into the depths of lost, sin-controlled hearts. And look at their response. Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They were cut to the heart and they were overcome with conviction. I want you to capture the despair of that moment. They knew that when you reject God as they did, there is no higher court of appeal. It's the last word. It's the last verdict. They could offer nothing to solve the problem. They couldn't simply go back and eliminate the department of sin in their lives. No government official had a plan for this. Suddenly, suddenly any goodness in their hearts just didn't seem like an offering that could be offered to God. Any goodness in their heart was an offering far too small. They killed Jesus. There's no hope. There's no hope. When I was with the police officers this week, one chaplain told of offering a group of Minneapolis officers some refreshments. And the chaplain said, can I get you something? One of the officers was from the, the surrendered third precinct. If, you know, if you've been following the stories, how that precinct was burned to the ground. And I, I believe it was a young lady. She looked at the chaplain and she said, yeah, can you get my precinct back for me? You see, for that officer, life was lost. 
surrendered with no hope of a solution. When, off when one officer was asked by a chaplain, how do, you, how do you feel? How would you describe how you feel in light of the events of the last week and all that you've experienced being on the front lines of this? She thought about it for a moment. She hung her head and she simply said, hopeless, hopeless. You see, when hope is lost, we don't have anything to work with. When we come to the end of our solutions, when we come to the end of our strength, when we come to the end of our wisdom, all that's left is hopelessness. And I'm impressed with the fact that Peter didn't leave them with the choice. He left them with Holy Spirit conviction and silence. God sent his son and you killed him. The Holy Spirit reveals Jesus, the Holy Spirit reveals sin, and the Holy Spirit reveals judgment. So out of their desperation, the crowd begged. They begged the disciples, what can we do? Now here comes the good news of Jesus Christ. Here comes the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, there is something that you can do. God does have a solution. God does have a second chance. God does offer forgiveness for your sin. God does offer hope, not only for you and for me, but for our city, for our communities, for our nation, for our world. God offers hope. God doesn't leave us with judgment. And we can only praise him for that. And Peter's solution, come to Jesus. The very one that you crucified is offering you to come to him for life. He's offering you renewal. He's offering you forgiveness. He's offering you eternity. He's offering you a new life in Christ. No shame, no guilt. And Peter would later write, and we've been studying that the last few weeks here at Valley Free, Peter would later write that Jesus offers a living hope, a living hope to replace our hopelessness. Come to Jesus. So what does Peter tell them? Peter says the first thing that you need to do is you need to repent. You need to recognize your sin. You need to turn from it and you need to turn towards Jesus. Come to Jesus. Repent. That means get down on your knees and say, God, I got nothing left. I have nothing but sin to offer you. My goodness doesn't amount to a hill of beans. You need to come to Jesus and say, I need, I, I, I'm caught in sin. My heart is wicked beyond, beyond anything that's repairable. I need you to save me. You recognize your sin. You recognize Jesus. You repent. And then what does Jesus say? He says, repent and be baptized. Be baptized, don't miss this, in the name of Jesus. Now we know, Jesus giving, Peter's giving a command here to be baptized, but we know in the greater context of Scripture that baptism is not a requirement for salvation. Re baptism is a command that represents salvation, what God has done in your life. Baptism is, is a command, but it's not a requirement for salvation. Baptism is a command to identify with Jesus. 
Peter is calling them to be baptized, to represent their salvation in Jesus, to identify with Jesus, to publicly identify, I have given my life to Christ. I belong to Jesus. I am of the redeemed. I am of those who have been forgiven of my sins. I am of those who live with the living hope. Be identified with Jesus Christ. And then I'm gonna add a third thing, back to verse 36, which, I, which I've read several times in the last few minutes. Verse 36, God made him both Lord and Christ. You see, the third thing you need to, re, you need to repent, identify with Jesus, and you need to receive him as your Lord. Now for the Jewish audience of that day, assigning the title of Lord to Jesus Christ would have been shocking. It would have been mouth wide open, eyes wide open, shocking to them. Jesus is Lord and Christ. You see that title Lord is reserved only for God in this case. And they would have understood that. They would have known from their scriptures. In fact, such reverence do they give to the title of Lord that they don't even speak it out loud. They use an abbreviated version. They don't, they don't even pronounce the name of God with their lips. And here is Peter saying, he has made him Lord and Christ. And now they are seeing Jesus in his fullness. But I, would, I, I want to say, because of that, if you don't see Jesus as Lord, you are not understanding salvation. You see, salvation is not simply a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not simply a momentary ticket to heaven or for forgiveness of my sins from yesterday. It is an invitation. It is a calling to yield your life to Jesus Christ as Lord, as boss, as the master of our lives, as the one who determines our future, that determines our pathways, determines the course of our life. He is Lord. Receiving him as Lord means also that I receive the promise of his Holy Spirit, the one that he said he would give me the Holy Spirit, us the Holy Spirit, to lead us and to guide us. We receive the gift of the Spirit so that we can follow his leading, a leading to Jesus and a leading in Jesus, in all things. It means, to put it in the context of the day, it means that rioters no longer throw rocks. It means that rogue police no longer abuse their authority. It means that integrity, wholeness returns to our life. It means that love rules your heart. It means that peace washes over the day. You see, until Jesus is Lord of your life, Lord of our systems, Lord of our cities, Lord of our nation, we will continue to struggle for peace and we won't find it. We'll fight for justice without a just cause. We'll seek unity, but we'll only discover disunity. The images of burning buildings, the sound of bullets, and the pleas of people to save their lives is not the work of the Holy Spirit. And I'd rather see us turn those images over to other images, such as crowds gathered on the Interstate 35W bridge, bowing, bowing their knee together now, I don't know what the prayers were that day as that crowd gathered and got on their knees and prayed, but I'm hoping, I'm hoping that humility marked that day. I'm hoping we can replace the images of violence 
with images of humbleness, of humility and repentance, and people falling to their knees and calling out, Lord Jesus, we need you, we need our, your spirit to lead us and to indwell us. You see, brothers and sisters, today is the day to repent of our sin. Today is the day to bow to our, on our knees to Jesus. Today is the day to walk in his spirit. Today is the day to pray and ask the spirit to take our cities back, to restore true justice, to restore true peace, and to bring true unity in Jesus Christ. You see, Pentecost is the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit to live our lives under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen. Lord Jesus, forgive us for not understanding the depth of the significance of the day of Pentecost. And beyond that, to understand the depth of the importance and significance of this gift you've given to us, your Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. He lives in us because of you, because you sent him, because you promised him. Lord Jesus, not only do we need your Holy Spirit in our lives, not only do we need to bow our knees ourselves and, and confess you as Lord and Savior, but we need to live by your Holy Spirit. We need to listen to his voice. Let him lead our lives. But Lord, in the context of, of this message today, in the context of our lives together, I pray that you would bring peace to our cities. I pray that your Holy Spirit would superintend over our cities. I pray that churches would be led by your Spirit to bring unity where, where there's only disunity, to bring peace where there is unrest, to bring love where there is hatred. I pray that you'd use your people, Lord Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit to return order to our cities. And may we find true and lasting changes and significance in our cities because of you, not because of our plans. And so, Lord, we give of ourselves to you today. We kneel before you. We cry out as the people did on that day of the day of Pentecost. What shall we do? May we turn to you in all things. We do it in the name of Jesus today.